Welcome to Talkless Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of water with those making waves. My name is Todd Bottler, and I'm your host for Talkless Water. I'm also the principal of Collaborative Water Resolution, which you can find at waterdisputes.org. In addition, I'm editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal. Both publications are free. My guest today is Jeremy Mazur. Jeremy is a senior policy advisor for Texas 2036, a nonprofit think tank. Jeremy directs Texas 2036's work in natural resources, which includes energy and water. Drawing on over 20 years of experience working with the Texas legislature and and state agencies like the Water Development Board. Jeremy works directly now with state and legislative leaders on policy changes needed for Texas' future energy and water needs. Jeremy, welcome and thank you for being part of Talkless Water. Todd, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. So I always like to start out and kind of ask people, you know, what got you interested in water or, you know, what made you think, ah, water is a great kind of, you know, focus for my career. Well, I started quite accidentally in water two decades ago in 2003. Back then, I was the chief of staff for State Representative Bill Caligari. And Chairman Caligari's interest was always in water. And he he was active in the water industry in in the Houston area in Texas. He ran a water utility called Amtex. And he was, a, he was a big deal and still is a big deal in Texas's water world. So when I started working for Chairman Caligari in 2003, he wanted to be a part of the House Natural Resources Committee, which you and I both know right. is the House's leading committee with jurisdiction over our state's water resources. Now, at the time, I thought natural resources was just some sort of big environmental thing. I I just didn't, you know, as a young Republican staffer, I didn't know any better. But over the course of five to six months of staffing Chairman Caligari on that committee and having the honor of working with him for nearly a decade, I learned a lot about water. And there, it took me a decade, I think, to get caught up to speed on like what the critical issues were and what direction our state needed to go. But it all goes back to 2003 when I was working for Chairman Caligari. And as some listeners here may know, he was quite active in, in water legislation in the Texas House. He worked on legislation regarding interbasin transfers and junior rights. He worked on legislation governing special districts, including municipal utility districts. Uh, he also had some groundbreaking legislation in two thousand. Five, I believe, regarding certificates of convenience and necessity for water and, and wastewater utilities. And so while working through with Chairman Gallagheri over that, that decade, I not only met plenty of wonderful people like yourself in the, in the water industry, but I developed a keen appreciation for the issues affecting Texas water sector and also some ideas with regard to what we could be doing with regard to our water resources. So I worked for Chairman Gallagheri for a wonderful decade, and it was, I couldn't say enough wonderful things about that man, and I still will throughout this podcast. But I went from there to the Water Development Board in 2013 where I had the distinction of serving as their director of government relations for that year. And then from there, I I transitioned back to the legislature. I went to the the Senate, where I worked for a senator out of Collin County, Senator Van Taylor, 
where I was his deputy chief of staff, legislative director. And Senator Taylor at that time has significant interest in water issues. I mean, Collin County is where the North Texas Municipal Water District is. Right. Matters of, of water supply and water availability and utility development are critical to the development of Collin County. And so we did a lot of work in Senator Taylor's office on on water issues. And after a great career there, he went off to Congress and I went to another water agency known as the Railroad Commission of Texas. For the uninitiated, <laughs> the, the Railroad Commission has nothing to do with... Everybody always has to say that. So always, yeah, yeah. yeah, I did not get a choo-choo conductor's hat. I, I was <laughs> their director of government relations for the state's leading energy regulator. But what's so profoundly interesting about the Railroad Commission and its rules and its oversight is a significant level of focus on protecting our state's groundwater resources. There is so much attention paid to orphan wells, abandoned wells, making sure that wells are in compliance with our statewide rules that are protective of underground drinking water quality. The Railroad Commission, in addition to providing stewardship for our state's energy sector, plays a critical role with regard to the protection of our underground uh, groundwater resources. And so you could say when I was director of government relations at the Railroad Commission, uh, you know, our, my work and my career in water was certainly furthered during that time. And, it was one, and I have to say the commission was a wonderful place to work. Uh, under the direction of the three commissioners and executive director Wei Wang, it was, it was a profoundly professional organization and well-run agency to serve. And it was an honor to be there. So I was at the Railroad Commission up until September of, of 2021 when I was when I finally came over to be a senior policy advisor at Texas 2036. You, you have one of the most well-rounded backgrounds and kind of you know state government at the higher levels, you know than probably anybody I know. I was just thinking about this. I mean, so. Uh, chairman Caligari, you know, what I, I remember um, when he was chairman, you were working for him, you know, he was he was really not afraid to, like, tackle difficult water issues. I mean, I remember there was a lot of, you know, really, um, you know, uh, in the weeds and detailed discussion about some of these water problems, that, you know, we're still dealing with today that that are, are just really tough to solve. Yeah, Chairman Caligari and I had had a, a, a wonderful relationship working together because he had a a very keen sense of attention to detail. He really wanted to dive into issues and learn more what was driving the issue and what were some solutions that could work. Uh, I, I, you know, looking back, I, I would credit you know, his discipline to the fact of the matter that he's a, he's a professional engineer. Mm -hmm. And when you put a professional engineer on the job, you're, you're going to get an approach and, and, uh, an approach to policy issues like that. So, and you were then on the Senate side. So what, how you can kind of compare those two, you'd been working on the house side, then you're working on the Senate side and, you know, kind of seeing what's going on with water, you know, each side of the, the legislature. What's that, what was your impression about the Senate and how it approached water? It was, uh, I, I think, you know, in the House, I mean, a lot of the focus was on, you know, what is the Natural Resources Committee doing? What are what are the big issues that, that they're looking and that they're passing? 
uh, and the House, of course, has an incredible amount of deference to what members have to say is important in their district. Uh, on, on the Senate side, I, I think, again, the, the Senate took its or took or takes its cues from what the Senate uh, Ag Rural Affairs and, and Water Committee uh, in, instructs. And so I, I think both chambers are certainly consistent in that regard. Um, and, you know, what it was, was surprised me when I moved from the House to the Senate was things weren't entirely that different. I mean, there, I mean, there were certainly different players and different politics in, in, in each chamber, but the, 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 I think both chambers certainly listened closely to what the members and leaders of those respective committees of jurisdiction had to say about water. So you just mentioned something that I that always found interesting. So in the Senate, uh, natural resources used to handle water and then you, the the uh, water agriculture and rural affairs committee was created and then water went over to it. Yes, that's right. And that, that happened in, in 2015 when Lieutenant Governor Patrick uh, became Lieutenant Governor. Before 2015, water issues in the Senate were under the jurisdiction of the Senate Natural Resources Committee. But what happened in 2015 with the change in the Senate rules was you still had Senate Natural Resources that largely had jurisdiction over the state's energy resources. But water resources were split off into a new committee, the Senate Water, Agricultural and Rural Affairs Committee, which is which which was chaired then and, and is now by Senator Perry from Lubbock. And he was uh, a freshman senator when he was made chairman. Yeah, that's right. There was a there was a big incoming freshman class in, in 2015. And Senator Perry was was one of those members. So. Now you're Texas 2036. So, so tell us about Texas 2036. So Texas 2036, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan, data-driven policy think tank. What fascinates me about Texas 2036 and what drew me to this organization is, is our North Star goal to make Texas the best place to live and work by, by 2036. And we are working on in several core areas in our organization. I mean, they include energy and natural resources, as we'll, we'll certainly talk about the water side in, in the coming hour. But there's other significant focuses of this organization, including public education, workforce, healthcare, transportation, and even broadband. And I would, I would point to our organization's success last year, I mean, during the last session, in passing some, some big-time broadband reforms for our state. And there, right now, one of the things you're focusing on is water, of course. Yeah. And we're here to talk about water. So tell us about some of the projects at Text 2036 that are water-related that you're working on, or you're directing, I guess. So I, I hit the ground running when I joined Texas 2036 in, in 2021. Uh, shortly after joining, we released a report where we had partnered with the Office of the State Climatologist on extreme weather trends, not only historic trends, but the trends that we can expect, expect over the next 15 years between now and 2036. That report from the state climatologist was, was rather alarming. It, it pointed towards we can expect an, an increase in the average temperature. We can expect uh, greater drought severity. And, and paradoxically, 
we can anticipate greater rainfall intensity that can contribute to a higher likelihood of urban flooding. Uh, there's this famous quote that no doubt you and I have heard that Texas is the land of perpetual drought visited occasionally by the biblical flood. Right. That report validated that finding from the National Weather Service from 1922. And so we, we released that report and we talked a lot about the findings of that report and our our. Our big recommendation on the basis of that report was we're not looking at what's causing these, these changes in extreme weather. Our argument is that if, we're, if the data points to future droughts being severe, if the data points to future floods being more intensive, then we need to scale our state's natural resources infrastructure, specifically our water supply and flood control mitigation infrastructure to be responsive to these growing extremes. So that was a, that was a, one of the first projects that I started, that I worked on with when I started with Texas 2036. There's another project that we started just about a year ago. I think it's almost a one year anniversary where we wanted to look at and this is still ongoing, we want to look at water markets in Texas. And I, I hope we'll talk about this more later in the hour. But I, I, I have, based on my two decades of water experience, I, I, I think our water policy is a little bit in a rut. And you know, we have you know, lots of conversation about financing water and wastewater infrastructure. That's a conversation that needs to happen. Uh, we have, you know, we, we have a lot of com- conversation about the existing regulatory regimes for surface and, and groundwater, which, which is good. We need to have that conversation. But what's really missing from the policy discussion is how can we encourage the voluntary transfers of water? I think you know when, when we look at the fact that we're a drought-prone state, we can expect future water scarcity due to drought, as well as like consumption uh, and and sedimentation of our reservoirs and depletion of our aquifers. Waters can be more scarce in the future, and I think you know, one of the more effective ways to manage our water is to in- introduce market mechanisms to to the water sector. So that's a, the second project that we're working on, Todd, uh, an evaluation of. Of water markets. Now, the third thing, which is a big issue for this session, has to do with our aging, deteriorating water and wastewater infrastructure. To uh, to rewind a, a, a bit here, uh, you know, in late 2021, Congress passed what was known as the U.S. Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. That act provides Texas upwards of $2.5 billion over the next five years for our state's clean and drinking water state revolving funds. And this is good. I, you know, IIJA course corrects decades of declining federal investment in, in state water and wastewater infrastructure. So shortly after IIJA was passed, Texas 2036 partnered with a couple other organizations, including the Texas Water Foundation and the Water Finance Exchange, to host a series of stakeholder meetings to talk about the IIJA and what the opportunities were for Texas in implementing this bill, what could be some strategies for implementing IIJA, and also more, more broadly, you know, what types of problems could be solved using IIJA dollars. 
And so we hosted a series of, of stakeholder meetings throughout 2022 to talk about IIJA and other infrastructure issues in Texas. And what came out of that was a blueprint that was developed by myself at Texas 2036 that is, is aimed at this current legislature for the 88th legislative session that comes up and includes several recommendations, some of them very ambitious, aimed at not only what we need to do in order to implement IIJA, but also as a, as a matter of policy, what we need to do to address the bigger issue of aging, deteriorating, and failing water and wastewater infrastructure systems in our state. Hmm. So, uh, I have a you know an episode of Talkless Water where I interviewed the comptroller, mm-hmm. uh, Glenn Hager, and of course, you know, he said, which everybody knows now that you know we got this record amount of money uh, for this session. Uh, the legislature has to spend and figure out what its priorities are, and also. Um, I can say this, even though it hadn't been published yet, as we we record that, you know, I've got a commentary from Chairman Perry uh, about the session, you know, talking about water infrastructure. And so it seems like, gosh, you know, we're kind of at the, you know, this is the ideal time to like maybe get some more money for infrastructure. I mean, people are thinking about it and and, you know, the state's got money. And so. Um, does it seem like there's a lot of interest? I, I think there is a significant amount of interest when the when the issue of, of water and water infrastructure comes up with, with this legislature. I have, I have a running joke that if you ever want to appear as like the, the the smart policy person in a, in, a, in, a, in a room, just just be quiet for a second and mention you know the most important thing to Texas is water. And then, <laughs> then people will start listening to you. Uh, but I, you know, we have a historic budget surplus this session. It's $32.5 billion. And there are spending limitations with regard to how much of that the legislature can spend this session. Uh, that Because there's a constitutional uh, and a statutory spending cap. But legislators are, are looking at options of like, what can they do to wisely invest some of the surplus? And we're seeing a significant amount of discussion about where it can go. I mean, some want to send it to property tax reform. Others want to buttress the state's uh, rainy day fund or save it for for worse economic days that you know we hope never visit Texas. Uh, there's also education reforms. But another type of, of investment that is being discussed and, and was even mentioned by Governor Abbott during his inauguration on Tuesday was investment in in infrastructure, including water infrastructure. And Texas 2036 has an idea on what to do. And as I said, we had these stakeholder meetings and we have a, a blueprint focused on fixing our aging, deteriorating water and wastewater infrastructure. So we we think, you know, in, in the world of water, there's there's three big options in front of us. One, we can capitalize a fund or repurpose an existing fund and capitalize that to focus on the issue of aging, deteriorating water and wastewater systems. Is this a 
a water fund or some other fund that you so it would be a water fund okay uh, this is what I have described in, in our in our blueprint the second option would be to to put more money aside perhaps in, in the state water implementation fund for Texas or SWIFT that was approved by voters in 2013 to finance more water supply projects more reservoirs or desail projects or water reuse uh, or, or lastly you know can can there be more funding for uh, flood control and mitigation members? Put more money in the in the fifth that was created by Speaker Phelan in, in, in 2019. You know, I think all three of these ideas and, and proposals have have merit. And you know, at, at the end of the day, I think Texas 2036, we recognize that you know our our, our flood infrastructure needs are, are significant. So yes, we have to invest in flood. We are going to need more water supply. So yes, we need to invest in, in more water supply development. But we also think we should be paying a little bit closer attention at the issue of our aging and deteriorating water and wastewater infrastructure. In December, I wrote a, a an article on the Texas 2036 blog about the, the top 10 water headlines of, of 2022. And several of those major headlines from 2022 had to do with systemic failures due to aging, deteriorating infrastructure. There was the, the 25-year-old trunk line that broke in Odessa in June, leaving the yeah. city without water for 48 hours. Right. I mean, can you imagine being in Odessa without running water for 48 hours in June? Uh, the- I have a hard time imagining being in Odessa for 48 hours. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. I used to work for a judge out there, so okay, so I'm just teasing. But you know, imagine being there without running water. <laughs> right, it'd, it'd, it'd be tough. It's, uh, I, I think it would, if you looked it up in the dictionary, it would say not fun. Right. Uh, and then, you know, in addition to Odessa, you know, the city of Laredo had significant levels of, of water loss in their system that decreased the, the, the line pressure. And the city had to boil water for, for 13 days, which is a profound inconvenience right. for, for families and businesses in that community. And then there was a, a, a catastrophic shutdown in Zavala in East Texas. And throughout 2022, we saw other cities that were dealing with the consequences of their aging and deteriorating infrastructure. And the, the, the families and businesses living there had to endure this in the form of boil water notices where they had to boil water. Or in, in some cases, there was just no water coming out of their tap. And so when you look at the, the top 10 headlines of, of 2022, a lot of it had to do with our, you know, the, a lot of those headlines were a result of our aging, deteriorating water and wastewater infrastructure. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the our infrastructure is is uh, you know overdue in a lot of places for upgrading and expansion, and we're also having kind of a hard time keeping people you know running those facilities too. It's a you know, there's so many other opportunities. It seems like uh, that uh, you know those folks get poached. And I, I think that's part of the, the mounting storm of crisis that is, is coming for Texas water infrastructure. And what we saw in, in Odessa, in Laredo, and even in Austin and in Houston and other cities last year and this year are evidence of this mounting storm coming for Texas water sector. 
And what we propose in our blueprint, the Texas 2036 water infrastructure blueprint, is when we look back at this, when we look at this surplus, this $32.5 billion historic surplus, this represents an opportunity to, you know, to, to, to contribute I mean, to establish a new fund oriented towards addressing these uh, aging and deteriorating water water systems, but it's, I think the issue is not just you know putting aside more money and spending it on on systems. There's several other things that we need to pay attention to. Uh, first, we need to have a bigger conversation on the policy level about technical assistance. And this is the outreach that can be provided by the board or third-party providers like Texas Rural Water Association, Communities Unlimited, or the Water Finance Exchange to go to communities, to work with them, and to develop solutions to to fix their problems with their water systems. We have over 10,000 public water systems and wastewater operators in, in our state. And, you know, we just need, and a lot of these utilities have problems. The bigger our technical assistance core in our outreach, the better we can start tailoring solutions to help these communities. In addition to technical assistance, I think we need to have, as a matter of policy, a new conversation about regionalization and regional solutions. Did you see me writing that down here? No, I didn't. I don't, I don't even have my glasses on. I want to talk about that I, next. I put my glasses on. I see it. So that's one of the things. You know, 20 years ago when I started working in the legislature, not only did I have hair, I didn't have to use glasses. But <laughs> here we are. Uh, yeah, regionalization. Uh and, and there's when you when you when you read the Texas Water Code, the different chapters in, in the Water Code, you will find that the legislature has put in there time and time again the word regionalization, and clearly the legislature has articulated a preference for the efficiencies that can be gained and accrued through regionalization. And and we generally know what they are. You get better workforce utilization, more efficient rate base, more efficient use of of source water and and regional water management. There are a host of benefits associated with regionalization that you and I could easily spend an hour talking about. But even though regionalization is prioritized time and time and time again by the legislature and the water code, we still have 10,000 water utilities across the state. And I'd like to borrow this line from from this doctor from University of Wisconsin, Manic Teodoro, who said that our water sector probably needs to shrink to grow. I couldn't agree more. I think we need to have a renewed focus on regionalization. And if we're going to create this new fund to address feeling or at risk of feeling water infrastructure, we need to have regionalization as part of that discussion. You know, I totally agree with you. I think, like you say, you know, you look at the water code and it does encourage it, but, you know, why are people not doing it? And so I think, I think they need to have some incentives and, you know, financial incentives are, would really be helpful, I think, because, you know, a small little utility, I mean, you have little mom and pop utilities in the, um, you know, 10,000 utilities. I think you're talking about mud suds and river authorities and, you know, uh, groundwater districts and, you know, the whole, whole shooting match. 
Um, or the alphabet soup of Texas water. Right. It's got mud, suds, WCIDs, fresh water supply. Yep. And the little ones, but if you think about it, you know, the little ones are really not going to have the capability or experience to be able to like sit down and apply for some of the grants that are available or funding from the state. And, you know, regionalization, you know, makes sense in that regard, you know, coming together for, you know, different um, utilities in a region that can help each other out and work together and apply for money together. And, that, and that's where technical assistance comes in, Todd, because I, I, you know, I've had some great conversations with Hank Havoc at the Water Finance Exchange and also Carlos Rubenstein, you know, formerly chairman of, yep. of the Water Development Board. He's also a Texas Commission on Environmental Quality Commissioner. Technical assistance outreach can work with these small communities that have fallen through the cracks that don't have the resources like you're talking about. Uh, to not only I, I, you know, design solutions responsive to their local water needs, but also to work with communities to develop these regional solutions. I, I think you're, the conversation we need to have about technical assistance and regionalization are, are closely aligned. And so when, when you look at the Texas 2036 blueprint, you'll, you'll find there's a significant focus on, on these two elements. And Carlos, uh, as a matter of fact, I mentioned is a, a former guest on uh, Talk Plus Water. So um, the blueprint, where can people find it? Can, can anybody get a hold of it and see what, you, what you've got in mind? Yes, we're, we're, we're putting it up. We put it up online this week, uh, okay. the, the week of January 13th that we're recording. And so you can find it at Texas 2036. That's Texas spelled out 2036.org. And uh, before we move on to water markets, talk about them a little bit. Are there any other water-related issues that Texas 2036 has been working on? Well, the, you know, the, our big focus this session, this, our big push is going to be on this blueprint. And there's one more element of this blueprint that I want to describe. I mean, so if we create this new fund, we put $5 billion in the fund. Um, and also we'll talk about setting up revenue streams such as a sales or severance tax revenue stream for this fund that could be used to finance projects in the future and to support the the Water Development Board's uh, operations. If we create a new fund, we need to have some guidance with regard to how the board would administer this fund. And one of the, the, the key elements that I have included in this blueprint is that we need to start having a statewide assessment of water and wastewater utilities to identify those that are either failing or at risk of failing using certain criteria. And this would be a a data-driven approach that we're proposing in our blueprint, where you can look at certain items such as what what the rate structure is, the financial, managerial, and technical capacity of a utility, source water quality, source water availability. uh, And there's other factors that you can look at and can evaluate the, the risk associated with a given utility to identify whether or not it is actually failing or at risk of failing. So if we create this fund, I think we need to focus on, on using it to help those utilities identified as failing or at risk of failing. So that's a, I think that's going to be a big issue that we're looking at as part of the blueprint. Another major part of the blueprint that is also relates to something else talking about the budget again and I think what we need to do is is talk about the the Texas Water Development Board 
The this is the, the state's leading agency for our, our water and flood control planning. And they're also the state's bank when it comes to administering our, our water finance funds. I mean, the, the SWIFT and the state revolving funds, as well as the economic disadvantage areas program. The, the Water Development Board is the little agency that can, and that agency's responsibilities have multiplied over the past decade, and rightfully so, because water and, and flood control are, are major issues to our state. So in addition to looking at pushing for our blueprint to address aging, deteriorating infrastructure, Texas 2036 strongly supports and will be fighting for full funding of what the Water Development Board is asking for in their legislative appropriations request. Uh, we, we need to set this agency up for success. They need staff capacity in order to, to, to develop their, their regional and state water plans and flood plans. They need staff capacity to administer the financial programs that they do for the service of, of their state. And of course, if, if, if the recommendations in Texas 2036 blueprint pass, they're going to need more staff capacity in order to conduct these assessments to identify utilities that are either feeling or at risk of feeling and to administer this fund. So I, I think going back to your original question, Todd, I, I think the funding of the Water Development Board is going to be another major water issue for this session. With that being said, I hope it's not the only water issue. As I said, we have a significant opportunity here to renew our state's focus on, on aging and curating infrastructure. And there may also be some other conversations about flood control and mitigation funding and state water supply funding. So, uh, of course, you know, you just talked about the Water Development Board and you've talked about flooding in terms of uh, the research that uh, John Nielsen Gammon, the state climatologist, did for you. And, and you know, some of, in some other regards, you were discussing flooding. And the Water Development Board um, now uh, oversees a flood planning process. They've been doing regional water planning process, you know, water supply planning uh, for decades. Uh, but now um, they have, I guess, their first uh, flood plan. Mm -hmm. And so so they're doing more all the time, it seems like. I mean, you know, I think the state's recognizing the need uh, for coordination uh, in these various areas. And so I would think that the, the resources are going to be needed to keep that going, especially if they're going to be doing more with infrastructure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one thing that I find surprising, is, as I said, I, I was the director of government relations for the Water Development Board in 2013. And and this, even though the responsibilities of that agency have grown over the past decade, you have three full-time board members, you have the, the flood plan and the, and the flood fund, not to mention the administration of the, of the SWIFT uh, or even the, the new infusion of SRF dollars we get from the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. So even though the agency's responsibilities have multiplied over the past decade, the size of that agency really has not. And, if, and again, we want to set this agency to be set up for success. This is not an agency that you want to underfund or sell short in any way. Uh, because if we want to make sure we have you know, the, the right flood infrastructure for our future, the water supplies we need for our future, and hopefully, legislature willing, 
a, a new focus on, on fixing our aging and deteriorating water and wastewater infrastructure, we need a water development board that has the staff and financial capacity to do it and to do it right. All the folks coming to Texas and all the new industry, you know, they're going to need reliable supply of water, you know, for uh, the 50-year horizon in the in the planning statute. And, and uh, as that uh, report this fall pointed out, um, if we're looking at 50 years from now and uh, encountering another serious drought like the drought of record in the 50s, there's a potential for a really big loss in terms of the, the, the state um, encountering that kind of a situation again and not having the water that it needs. Oh, that's true. And, you know, one of the other projects, water projects that Texas 2036 did was we partnered with the Baker Institute at Rice University to look at what the economic impacts to the state would be if we had another severe drought and we didn't build water, enough water supplies. That this report was it was interesting because they, they actually drilled down on what the impacts will be on certain sector, sectors: the manufacturing sector, the ag sector, and the semiconductor industry. Uh, and 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 of course, it found when you look at certain industries and you look at certain regions, you're looking at, at billions in GDP losses. Not to mention the upwards of hundreds of thousands of jobs lost if we don't build new water supplies. Uh, but Todd, you and I both know this is this is contingent upon a repeat of the drought of record of the 1950s. And you and I wrote we we co-authored an op-ed right. back in June, which I, I was it was wonderful working with you on this op-ed. That when you not only look at the the state climatologist data and their report about future droughts being severe, but when you look at the historic droughts to before when before Texas was even a republic. I mean, you had these long, deep, scarring mega droughts right. in the 19th, 18th, and you know, the 15th century that were worse than the drought of record. Right, right. Our tree ring study that I, I did while I was at uh, the Gullaby Blanco River Authority with the University of Arkansas Tree Ring Lab. I mean, there's some droughts, you know, way back when it's kind of one of these, you know, beyond the map, there'd be dragons yes. know, kind of thing. I mean, you know, the 50s drought was awful, but there have been some of the past that were longer and more severe. And so, you, in, I mean, it's like, it's like today we're sitting here and it's a beautiful day, sun's out. You never know when you're in the beginning of another one of those droughts. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's just, you can't, I mean, it's that's something that you can never, never know, and you can't prepare for it after it starts. The the real preparation has to have gone on for decades prior to that. And I remember reading your article about the train ring study when it came out. It was like that was ten years ago, right? It was about ten. And yeah. didn't you tell me that the the trees that you used to conduct that study were swept away in the Wimberley floods? So the the oldest tree that we sampled in that study was a bald cypress tree and it was this they were they were all bald cypress trees i should say all over the uh, south texas but the oldest one we didn't get to the center um but we got back to 1426 on that tree we think the center was close 
to like 1380 or something, but it was swept away in the Wimberley flood. And so, you know, that's just one little data point that says, yeah, you know, it's not really enough to be conclusive, but I I looked at that and I thought, well, that may be, or, or is likely the worst flood that hit that stretch of the Blanco, you know, since that tree was a sapling in 1380 or so. Yeah, because there's and no so, tree to have a tree ring. Right, so. right. And so, uh, you know, that was an amazing flood of what it did, which is shocking. Um, but, uh, you know, Texas, that's, hey, there it is. There's the, you know, the, the drought side and the flood side in Texas. And, and I, I think that's, I mean, I remember reading the article and, I mean, it was, it was, it was fascinating when you look back to pre recorded history in Texas where you have like that severe mega drought of the early 1700s and and frankly the and I, I know we're going into to deep nerd territory that's far <laughs> removed from it's a podcast we can do that yeah. legislative session this is why I'm interested in water but even you know the the the, the, the 16th the late 16th century mega drought I mean there's that there's an academic article which I do not recommend that anyone read right before bedtime called Mega Drought and Mega Death. Yeah. Uh, the last three paragraphs of it will, will literally keep you up all tonight. But I have, I have uh, on, on the subject of Mega Drought and Mega Death, uh, <laughs> let's, let's talk about let's talk the legislature. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so, any, so anything else about the, the ledge you want to mention before we, we go on and talk a little bit about Water markets? Well, yeah, I think you know, with regard to the ledge, I think this is going to be a water session because of the opportunities for, for funding water infrastructure. Uh, as I said, we have our blueprint. I think you know the, the critical need to to fund the Water Development Board to set it up for success. But uh, there's another interesting development that I think will make this a, a significant water session is last week there was the historic announcement of the creation of the Texas House Water Caucus. Yeah. Under, uh, and thanks to the leadership of Sarah Schlesinger at the Texas Water Foundation, we now have a caucus that, you know, as I understand it, it's going to focus on providing information, sharing data and background resources to members of, of that caucus. And it is it is sorely needed and exceptionally welcome to have this this focus in the legislature on providing data and research and, and a pipeline of experts for members to learn more about water. And I, I think that is going to significantly inform the discussion that we're going to see not only in the 88th Texas legislature, but you know, undoubtedly in future legislatures uh, about water. I thought that was a really interesting development too, um, and I wonder wonder if uh, if they will have some joint legislation that the caucus drafts together, or how that might work. My understanding, it's not going to be a caucus that like a traditional political caucus that will come up with bills and file them like, like you may see in Congress or even in some Texas legislative caucuses that this caucus's focus, as I understand it, is more centered on being a resource to provide information and education, gotcha. which is good. Uh, I mean, I, when I first started working in the house, I'd, I'd been working in the legislature since late last century with the sunset commission. Uh, and there's, there's a significant stable of, of members that had, deep water knowledge. I mean, right. Chairman Robert Puente, Bill Caligari, and, and some other members. Uh, and, and so this, the, 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 I think the efforts of 
this Texas House Water Caucus are entirely commendable because I, I think they're looking to, to rebuild that stable. And I also have to say Sarah Schlesinger is another alumni of Topless Water. Wonderful. One of the early ones, actually. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about water markets. And I have to say, for the record, um, that I am doing some research for Texas uh, 2036 on water markets. Uh, what uh, interests you in water markets? Yeah, and I, you know, Todd, we're we're very excited to partner with you on on this water market study. Uh, I, you know, in what's what what interests us about water markets is, as I said, you know, they have been widely discussed, but rarely developed in Texas. I mean, you could go to you could basically go to a water conference in any given year since 1999, and there would always be a panel on water markets. And you would even have interim hearings in the Texas House and the right. Senate on water markets. But even though everyone was talking time and time again about water markets this, water markets that, in truth, when we, when we, when we look at the, the water market situation in Texas right now, there really isn't a lot. What we've discovered is... You know, there are only two functioning water markets in the state. The first is in the Edwards Aquifer area. The second is in the Rio Grande Valley. There are certainly water transactions that occur across the state, and, and this is good. But we're not seeing a lot of lot of activity in terms of like water markets across the state. I think they're important because water markets do several things. First, they encourage the voluntary transfer of water. Uh, rather than having a governmental entity or the legislature command and control with regard to how water should be allocated, there's there's a certain grace and elegance to water markets insofar as you have like a willing seller and a willing buyer transacting and moving water accordingly. Uh, and so I, I think I, I think that's I think that's an ideal outcome. Another thing I like about water markets is that they assign a value to water. And this is something that's sorely missing from Texas. We've, right. we've heard about this concept before. Nevi had some good coffee house chats about the value of water. But you, Texas is a drought prone state. We are subject to water scarcity. And looking towards the future, when we expect more groundwater depletion and more more surface water sedimentation, our future water scarcity is going to get worse. And so we need to start assigning a value to water in order to more effectively use it. Uh, and markets do that, which is which is what we want to have happen. And, and lastly, I, I, I think what's a good thing about water markets is that they contribute to more efficient and more effective water use. And I'm very excited about the data that we're, we're seeing from this study, especially the data from the Edwards, that, that supports some of these findings. Yeah, we've got, <clears throat> uh, we've got great data on the Edwards. Um, and we have data on the Rio Grande, but uh, the Rio Grande data, there's not as much available. Uh, we've got, you know, data on leases, uh, but not going back as far as we we might have liked. But sales data is lacking on the Rio Grande. But we have sales and leasing for the Edwards. And what I think is interesting that's coming out of the Edwards data uh, and, and maybe the Rio Grande data when we finish the analysis is that, you know, like you say, um, 
you know, when you assign a value to water, mm-hmm. um, uh, it really helps to change human behavior. And I think that's the key is changing human behavior around water. And, you know, I, I mean, you and I have been to so many conferences or or listen to so many people talking about water where they, you know, first thing they say is, oh, water's the next oil or water's so valuable, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, if you made a drinking right. game out of it, right. you wouldn't make it the uh, next hour. Right. <laughs> and then the next thing, you know, you know, uh, we're looking at all these figures about how much treated drinking water we dump on our lawns and stuff. And yeah. so, I mean, that. That's that. What that tells you is that yes, people understand the need for it, and that its value it, it is is one that you know no one can live without. But at the same time, you know, our system is is not valuing it in a way that sends signals to people to change their behavior around it, and and that's what I think water markets can do, and and what I've seen. Uh, in this study, it doing in some places. And so how do you get from where we are now and other parts of the state to, to that situation? And that, that is profoundly appealing, precisely uh, what you said. So using the market to send a signal to people about what the value is and, and letting them make decisions with regard to how they can use their water. I, I think in, in Texas, when you, when you think about it, that is such an attractive alternative to heavy-handed governmental mandates telling people what to do with their water. Uh, I, I think you know, just the, the political ethos of the state is not one that really wants government. It's not one that's friendly to government telling people what to do. And, and I, I get that. And, and I appreciate that. And I, I think you know, what's, what's, which, what I like about water markets is that it it's a way to manage your water resources and apply stewardship over water resources without heavy-handed government intervention all the time. Well, I'm hoping to get all that wrapped up as soon as possible. Yeah. And we're, we're, I mean, we're, we're really excited about this one, Todd, because I, I think you know, I've, I've seen some of the data that you have from the Edwards, and we, we, we can't go too far into that data, but the, these are some profoundly exciting findings that have never been seen before that, that, you know, shine a a bright light on the benefit of of what water markets can provide. Well, I'm going to have some wacky ideas too in there about how you get from here to there. So (laughs) I, 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 I wouldn't call them entirely wacky just yet. So, well, let's see. We've talked about uh, all things water and what the legislature's up to and uh, what uh, Texas 2036 is working on. What kind of, you know, getting ready to, to wrap up here a little bit. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing the state? Oh, just, I'm glad it's a plural question. What's the biggest challenges? I, you know, from the, from the start, I, I think the, the biggest challenge we're going to face is the future weather uncertainty. Uh, the, the one thing that, that keeps me awake at night is, 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 is a prospect of, of a worse drought. I mean, a drought worse than the drought of record. Um, and, you know, we were, we were, Texas 2036 was successful uh, last year uh, during the Water Development Board Sunset Review and getting the Sunset Commission to approve our recommendation that regional water planning groups be allowed to use a drought worse than the drought of record for their, for their planning purposes. Right. 
I think that's important because I, 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 you know, future droughts are in all probability could be more severe than what we've seen before. And having endured 2011, like the rest of us, I mean, that was a miserable yeah. year. We were watching lakes and aquifers decline in real time. I mean, Lake Travis was going down, what, a, a foot a day. And then we were watching J-17 with right. Edwards also precipitously decline. Uh, I mean, and then it took us several years to pull out of 2011. Yeah. But I think the biggest challenge we have is making sure we have enough reliable water supplies for, for future worsening droughts. And this is a this means we're going to have to do a lot more than building reservoirs in desal. We're going to need reservoirs in desal, right. but I think we're going to have to manage our water more effectively, like using markets. Uh, but we also need to pay closer attention to some of these other water management ideas like one water and nature-based solutions. There's an incredible amount of merit to what's being proposed there. And I, I think the other biggest challenge facing Texas is the fact matter that our, our water and wastewater infrastructure is is at risk of failing. We, we've seen catastrophic failures in 2022. And I, I suspect that when I rewrite my article on the top 10 Texas water headlines for 2023, I would be surprised if there's no headlines in there about major water system failures on par with what we saw in Jackson, right. Mississippi. Could be, mm -hmm. could be. Uh, you know, I wonder you, when you're talking about those um, those needs and you see what's going on in the Colorado, the big Colorado oh, yeah. at West and, uh, you know, the seven states that are, are dealing with that issue. You know, I wonder if, I, so I often wonder if people here are looking at that and thinking about, you know, are we, you know, in danger of experiencing something like that in the future? I wonder if that, if that ever gets people here thinking about, you know, hey, is my water supply secure the way, you know, I hope it is for this, you know, this industry that I work in or a business I want to uh, keep on growing here. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I was at a conference last week in Houston called the Ten Across Conference where a bunch of states that transect, that I-10 corridor transects. So you folks here from California, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, Florida, and, and Mississippi. It was an interesting lot. Uh, there was a significant conversation about the the Western Colorado. Okay. And someone there said that, you know, it's it's quite possible that Lake Mead is less than two years away from Deadpool. Right. Deadpool is, is a lot more than that really witty character with the right. two swords right. in, in the movie. Uh, Deadpool basically means you, you can't pump any water out of Lake Mead and there's going to be no downstream deliveries. Uh, that, I mean, that is uh, that, that Deadpool means you're not going to have water coming out of faucets in Phoenix and possibly in further down the, the Colorado Basin. Uh, that is... That is profound. And right. I, I think you know that could be. I mean, that that how that isn't being elevated to a potential crisis on par with some other major national crisis like a major hurricane. I don't know yet. Well, and and not only are, are you know people in danger of not having water, but you know it's a major um, energy producer, yeah. and you know energy producer of, of energy that is uh, you know not you know, putting CO2 in the atmosphere and all that. And so, um, so the impacts would be enormous and, and certainly hope that 
that's not what happens. But, uh, you know, uh, it's not looking good. Yeah, I mean, the only upside of like these severe droughts is you get to close like a lot of uh, uh, cold case files. I mean, there's just you know, all these Gosh. all these bodies that are yeah. showing up formally at the bottom of the lake. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's, as I say, that's the only upside of severe drought. That's the only thing that does is make me kind of afraid to go down to lakes now when they're, <laughs> when they're drying up. Uh, so, uh, Texas 2036, again, how could we find out about? your organization and, and what y'all are doing with water in a whole bunch of areas? Absolutely. There's several ways. I mean, of course, you could always follow us on Twitter at Texas2036. That's our handle. Feel free to visit our, our webpage at Texas2036.com. And there, there's several resources on our webpage that would be that may be interesting to your listeners, Todd. I mean, the first is our, is our policy blog, where our policy advisors, uh, like myself, write their takes on, on what the, the big issues are, either in the legislature or happening in, in the policy areas that they pay attention to. Uh, we also have a, a online newsletter that you can sign up for and you can get updates for not only not only the work that I'm doing on in, in water, but you can also get updates with regard to the work we're doing in other important areas, such as workforce, healthcare, energy, transportation, and the state's budget. Uh, so that's a that's a I think those are the, the few ways I would recommend that you you keep in touch and, and stay on top of what we're doing. Great. And uh Boy, it's been fun talking this, water. This has been fun. I, it would be interesting to, to have a roundtable in, in a few months after this session to, oh. to see what people think about what what were the wins and what were what were the not so wins. Or I think we might have to do that because you know we we do that for the Texas Water Journal, and so that might be interesting to have uh, everybody meet at a bar. And, uh, you know, tell their war stories, you know, from the session or or recount how uh, they were victorious and getting, you know, certain things done. Uh, it would be interesting. And I think your recommendation of having the conversation at a bar would lend itself to a more animated conversation. I don't know if you have a beeper for it. I don't. OK, I don't. You know, uh, I had, <laughs> you know, Perry Fowler got me at the end of one of these. And so, um, no, uh, it's a. Uh, it's, it's, you know, kind of, uh, was it come as you are, you know, or here we go roll the punches. Yeah, so. or uh, everyone lets their hair down. There you go. Which, which in my case, I really can't. But if you have it, neither yeah. one of us. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good deal. Well, hey, Jeremy, thank you for being on Talk Plus Water today. Todd, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So this has been Talkless Water, and my guest was Jeremy Mazur, the Senior Policy Advisor to Texas 2036, a nonprofit think tank. I also want to thank you, the listener, for spending your valuable time on this podcast. And finally, I want to give a big thank you to Anna Huff at the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University for getting each episode of Talk Plus Water ready to flow. How do you like that, ready to flow? I just That is witty. I'm just, you know, free, I'm, you know, just making out this I got here. It comes for the pipeline just perfect. <laughs> My name is Todd Butler. Let's talk water again soon.